Okay, so we're lucky to, to be bringing uh, Gavin Freeman on for episode two. And I know the last one was received really, really well, Gav. So, mate, thank you again for, for joining us on the podcast. No problem, mate. Great to be back. So, we, we obviously, I, I chat and I bounce off you and I have, well, God, for, for over a decade. It's been, yeah, longer than a decade. And... I just love, I love the way that you you voice things, and a lot of what you say kind of makes sense. So, I guess building off our life, you make sense. I don't know. Maybe after how long have you been doing what you're doing? If, if only I could charge for making sense. I'm sure you'd charge many cents. Yeah, uh, well, maybe one day. <laughs> so, so I guess one of the yeah, I guess where I want to unpack this, and I don't know if it falls under an umbrella. I know, mate, you've you've. Um, written many books and there's a lot of ways we could kind of take this but uh, I was kind of prefacing this by saying a lot of the people that I tend to work with uh, have been in, in our in the fitness industry mostly um, I do get some coaches like nutritionists and whatever but they've kind of got to a point in their business where they built themselves up they quite busy very much still like sometimes pre-gym but definitely other people in a gym but they've got themselves to a point where they've kind of hit the ceiling um, mm. in their career and it kind of takes a whole nother level. Um, and sometimes that like the constant mindset component, and I think we, we can talk mindset today as well as some strategy because like, I love it being educational as well. But and, yes. Well, I was gonna say you, you're, you've tapped into the two areas that are so relevant and important. You, you've got to have a good strategic business plan in place and an anchoring and you know, what type of anchor, what type of strategy have you got in place? But then you've got to have the associated mindset that enables you to deliver on it because operationally, you know, there are there are limitations in, in your industry and in what you do, right? Mm. You do what you do. So you've got to be able to, how do you differentiate yourself in the market? What's your competitive advantage is is super important. And and it's probably a good place to start because your competitive advantage is made up by two core things, two core elements, your capability and your resources. Right, so your capability is made up of your knowledge base, uh, your reason, you know, your um, you know, your staff, um, your training, you know, how well you're trained, your knowledge, you know, what you've got inside your head, and then you've got your your resourcing, which is how you deliver it. Mm. And and the fundamental argument that that plays out is that everybody has access to the same amount of resourcing and capability. You can all go to to get some education. You can all hire a gym, right? So you all have the same access. It's how do you, and I hate this word, but it's how do you exploit what you have to, to, to give you that competitive advantage in the market. Now, some of that's up here and some of it's here. And I think it's both, it's a bit of both as to how we, how we do that and how you set your strategy. Um, setting a strategy in and of itself, I would challenge any of your, your listeners now to, to think about what is their strategy as a starting point. Like fundamentally, what is their strategy? And if their answer is just to make money, that's not a strategy. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's, Gab, just so you know, like that's what I spend so much of my time on. And I feel like like for many of the guys in our industry, um, I mean, for personal trainers, like, okay, you look at me, I never planned to be a PT. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was a financial planner out of uni and I was doing that for six years. And, and then I was like, this doesn't really float my boat. Plus you and I having had lots of injuries that sent me down a route of wanting to learn about rehab. So I fell into it. And I think most people fell into it in our industry. So they, they, 
whilst they didn't have a plan, they kind of get in and very much it's a monkey see, monkey do, right? Or they're doing that or they're trying that strategy or whatever. And there's a lot of copycatting that goes on. Um, but also what keeps a lot of people stuck, I see that they, they don't really take the time to really deeply understand the strategy. So they got really good at the skill, got good at being a practitioner, but they didn't think like a business person. For me, I came straight into the industry already thinking like a business person. So talk about competitive advantage. The funny thing is now I'm the business guy in the fitness industry, right? Like, <laughs> there you go. Enough. You've exploited that competitive advantage. Let me give you yeah. two more things to start with. If you've never thought strategy, really simple way to think of strategy. Um, and look, it's far more complex than this, but start at this point and then you can expand afterwards. You've got to make a decision right at the very beginning. Is your strategy going to be one of differentiation or one of what we call cost leadership? Right. So it's pretty simple. Differentiation is I'm going to be different in some way, shape or form. Right. That means you can have a premium price, but it doesn't mean you having to be premium. So being different doesn't mean expensive. It also doesn't mean cheap. It just means being different. I'm going to do something differently, offer something different in the market, understand a niche, whatever it might be. Now, that does, yeah, but that does allow you to charge if you want to from a, for a premium service. Right. Um, Cost leadership on the other side is taking the approach that says, I'm going to deliver a great service, but I'm going to make sure that I'm focusing on the efficiencies of how I deliver that service so that I'm reducing my cost base mm -hmm. so that my customers still receive a service, may not be the most premium service, but they still receive a, a great service. Um, but I'm focused on actually minimizing expenses as opposed to differentiators don't necessarily focus on minimizing uh, the expenses. They focus on how do I ensure it's different. So mm -hmm. you think of like a Kentucky tour, right? It's a differentiator. It's not expensive, but it's a differentiator. It's a different way of doing a tour as opposed to, you know, I can start getting complicated, but you look at like IKEA. So IKEA does a bit of both. They're a hybrid model. They're differentiating in the market because of their flat pack, but they also have streamlining to try and keep the cost down. So you can play with a little bit of that, but you've got to have one of those things. You can't you can't necessarily try to do both at the same time because it really causes challenges, particularly for single source owners. IKEA can do it because they're a huge conglomerate, but as a as a as an individual running a small business, it's very difficult to try and create a hybrid model across the two. Pick one and then focus well on it and then work out what you need to deliver on that. And then that becomes, I guess, your anchor. If you've got your anchor, you can then build off your anchor. Actually, this is really cool. And I want to take this maybe in a couple of ways, but just before I go on, did you see that cheeky ad that's just gone up in the last week for Ikea around? It's $65 million and you couldn't get one seat and we did $29.95. Clive Palmer. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was hilarious. So that is a great example of a cost leadership strategy, right? That's what they were trying to, to do there. They were demonstrating that through their, you know, their efficiencies, you, the, you, you get uh, a premium product, but it's not going to cost you a huge amount of money. Yeah, for $28 yeah. for one chair. Was now put that into your world, yeah. right? If, if I'm going to look, if I'm, for whatever reason, I've made a decision to, to engage a personal trainer, right? Yep usually coming from a variety of different reasons. You know, I want to get fit, I want to lose some weight and pretty much everything in between. And I look down and I go into the website and go, PT, how many am I going to get? Thousands. Thousands, right? So how yeah. do I how do I see and differentiate between people? Well, in some cases it might be reviews. So 
marketing from individuals. That's probably what I'm going to look to first. I'm not going to look to their marketing first. I'm going to look to, to what reviews are saying. But there's a part of my brain that says I don't trust reviews because they can also be, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. A little bit. So then I might look at their website and kind of go, what's their philosophy? I'm, I'm trained as a psychologist. I actually did an exercise physiology to start with um, and a psychology degree, and I've got an MBA. Nothing about that. But what that tells you is that my brain looks to the academic element. So I'm going to go, show me your training. It doesn't have to be academic training, but I'm going to look down and say, right, can I see, you know, what courses you do? What's your professional development mindset? How are you ensuring that you're at the top of your game? If you're telling me and on your website, I can't see anything around how you're developing yourself as a person, I'm not going anywhere near you. Yeah. Now that's me. I've actually got a gym owner right next to me going, mm, that's interesting. Mm, that's interesting. Because we're actually doing- I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna look at anything, right? But if yeah. you say to me, you know, we are we benchmark ourselves against, you know, the, the best in the world. We're continually developing and understanding new ways and new techniques of doing things. We have a holistic approach. We engage with other individuals to understand, you know, um, X, Y, and Z. I'm gonna go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll have a chat to this person. Right? Yeah. Now, others might simply look at a cool picture of somebody you know, with big muscles and go, well, I just want to get that. So you might vicariously want to imitate the person you're seeing, perfectly valid, and that will, will work as, as well. Others might simply go, you offer a 5 a.m. class, I need a 5 a.m. class, let's rock and roll. Yeah, this, this is um, the amount of people that I'll talk to, and I'm sure you've seen this, but Australia's like, the amount of different types of franchises that are out now, right? Like the big, like obviously F45 has been huge um, and that's kind of, you know, it's got its life cycle. There's other ones that like BeFit is popping up everywhere. Um, you've got FitStop, a whole, a whole lot in the group space. Mm. And a lot of the guys that I coach, they're, they're not necessarily that trainer. Like they, they are the high level trainer. So typically the, let's just say the, the psychologist that's uh, had a lot of hamstring tears and an ACL injury and looks for rehab and the mindset and the whatever, you're not actually looking to jump across boxes, right? Yeah. Like you actually want something that's a lot more like targeted, science-based, um, has an, a, a coaching element. And we actually fix all the stuff outside the gym as well as in the gym. Yeah. And, and so you're absolutely spot on. But like you said, then you can really stand out if you get your positioning right and you show how it's like, it's completely different. It's not even apples and apples. And the other thing is be really clear around what who your market is. So the mistake I see young businesses make, particularly in that development and growth phase, and I made the same mistake when I was starting, is you want to be everything to everybody because you just see a dollar sign attached to, to the person, right? And I think what you need to consider is what's the value of that actual dollar? What is the price of that one single dollar like what does one dollar cost you if you've got if you're offering a premium service then that dollar that you're charging might cost you 97 cents to deliver right you're only making a three cents three percent margin on your on your cost base right so you need to decide how much is it how much is it actually worth for you to decide if i'm going to be everything to everybody when i started my my um Speaking is a good example. I would speak at conferences and people would call me up and say, what can you speak on? And I'd say, you tell me and I'll speak on anything, right? Yep. And I actually built a list of about 15 different um, speaking topics. 
and they were all okay, but none of them were great. They were they were fine. They get me through, but none of them were actually any good. None of them kind of met the standard. Now, if you came to me and said, "I want you to speak at my conference," I have two two talks that I do. And that's it. Mm. Both of those talks now are amazing. I've developed them over years. They're constantly changing. Themes the same, but constantly changing. But I only do two. And I know that I only do two and I will never offer only two. And somebody says to me, oh, can you just come and talk on something else? It's like, nah, call Mark, call John, call Fred, call Mary, call John, whatever it might be. Um, so I know kind of where my, my lane is and I'm gonna stick to that lane because I'm very clear around what my strategy is. Gav, you, you touched on a really interesting point, but, and I say this, I say this a lot to the, 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 say the first couple of years, right? Um, that you had to start there though. Like for, for a personal trainer, for mm. a personal trainer specifically, they go and do this thing called a certificate for in fitness, which yeah. is so base level, so basic. Essentially, I view it like they're, they're like a general practitioner doctor yeah. that has to build skill sets. And you don't know, and you're right, a lot of PTs um, that I speak to, they get into it, they want to make, they want to make money, but they get, had to gain probably that experience in the first couple of years to work out. I actually really prefer working with a guy like Gav, who's really driven, high performer versus, you know, um, the mum who is, you know, like th the different types of experiences they needed to have to find. Yeah, there's a, there's a nice way to think about it. Um, so there's nothing wrong with what you're proposing. And I think it actually makes sense. But if you think about the trajectory of a business is how it grows, you know, it's going to start at that development phase. That's developing who you are, developing, understanding. Sure, at that stage, go a bit broader, you know, check, check the boundaries. I would still say to you, don't go so broad that you spread yourself so thin that you actually do an awful job because that's the other challenge, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, go broad, but go broad, you know, if you're starting as a PT, don't try and pick up the, you know, the, the semi-professional football team down the road and the overweight mums and dads who want to just, you know, potter around and slowly pick it off. That, those two, those two, characteristics are so far apart. Now, if you say to me, all right, I'm going to go and work with some of the local football teams um, and I'm going to try and, you know, offer services to that plus a few, you know, semi-professional division one teams. And then I want to focus a little bit on kids that are coming through with aspirations in wanting to play sport. Cool. Mm. That's fairly broad. You can have the 12 year old who's saying, hey, I want to be a footballer and you're looking going, mate, you're never going to be a footballer. You're going to be great at chess, but I'm happy to train you, right? Yeah. You can do that. That's still in your lane, but it's broad, right? Yes. Taking on everything means you're never going to end up actually working out what you're good at. So development phase, go broad, but recognize that you've got an interest. Try other interests, but settle. Then you sort yes. of want to move into your growth phase. And that's the phase that I think you're going to start to see a real thinking of your strategy. So development phase is just kind of look around. Your growth phase is saying, right, I want to build this business. I actually want to build a name for myself. And that's where you'd often say to people, what do you want to be famous for? Like, what do you want to be known for? What's, you called yourself the business guy in PT, right? Mm. That's taking you, you, you cottoned onto that at a point in time. Even though you came into it, you still went down and did PT training. But in the back of your mind, you sort of had something going on. So you kind of move into that growth phase. After that, we sort of need to move into, some people call it a shakeout phase. You know, we grow and then we sort of go, right now I need to get rid of some of the stuff that's not working. I'm gonna solidify, 
where I'm at, I'm really gonna nail it all down. Then we move into a bit more of a maturity where we mature in what we do. Um, and then we gotta work out, and this is quite important for, for most of your people as well. And people will be scared to do this, but you've gotta work out your exit strategy, right? If you don't have an exit strategy, you're actually in a whole lot of trouble. Because if you don't know how you're getting out, you actually end up getting stuck. And if you don't know how you're getting out and you get stuck, guess what happens? Your business declines. And the last thing you want is to you literally shut the door with having no return. So who's Thor? What's his name again? You know, that guy who got in with uh, the business? Uh, I don't know, whatever his name is. Some yes. decent looking bloke, you know, with Hemsworth. What did he just sell his business for? His share of his of the fitness business? I, I don't know. Millions. Yep. No, so I think he he, owned a, he had a percentage share in one of the fitness businesses. Anyway, um, for all of you out there, if you haven't got your exit strategy now, start working on it. And the exit strategy could be, I'm gonna sell up. Could be, I'm gonna just shut it down at this point in time because I've made enough money and that's it. Could be, I'm moving into education, business. Could be I'm merging with 10 other people and we're going to blah, blah. Could be, whatever it is, have an exit strategy. Can I, can I, uh, this is actually really interesting. By the way, uh, he sold, they sold it for 200 million. Okay, just a smidge. I was just, I was just interested. <laughs> exit strategy, the amount of people I've spoken to and COVID is an amazing example, but for, for whether it was like they weren't up for the fight um, or they just, you said this actually on our last podcast that a big part of your role is to really prepare people for worst case scenarios. Yeah. Maybe we can touch on that, but but exit strategy, I don't think is something that anyone even talks about. Um, I know for me that I do want to be able to build this business because I've, again, been business minded. And I, and I grew up, my, my dad has bought and sold seven or eight businesses that I've known of in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, and I think very much thinking um, systems focused. And I know that you are very systems focused. In fact, this is really interesting because I wanted to talk on your evolution of your offer. Yeah. Um, because as you said, you've, you've, you've run these bases, right? Um, but for exit strategy for, for, for personal trainers, I, I sometimes think it, that the most of the driver tends to be like a lifestyle thing. Like so many of them get burnt out yeah. like, over time with the work or like I was speaking to a, a studio owner yesterday and on the outside he's kicking ass has five staff he's dialed back he's not doing so much of the work in the business but he's like if it's not really bringing me joy hmm. like this beast that i've built like doesn't have an exit strategy um now now exit doesn't mean your business has gone bad right exit means you're transitioning from where i am now to something else that's that's what exit actually means right so you could have an exit strategy into now I'm just the CEO of 50, you know, PT stores. I'm no longer doing that. I'm doing something different, right? So you don't have to be exiting out of the industry. It just could be the exit because otherwise the burnout, what you're talking about there is that classic outcome of people who don't have a plan. So what they do is they work and 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 they're making more money. So they're getting positive reinforcement or they're not making enough money. So they try to work harder. Right, and work and work and work and work and work, and then they hit a wall and then they just collapse. Right? Or the wall is taken away from them, like what COVID did. Or sorry, the wall is put there, like what, yes. what COVID did, and they don't have a plan. So for many people that I worked with coming through uh, when COVID started hitting, was ironically the first question I was saying to them is, right, we don't know how long this is gonna go for. What's your exit strategy? 
And I, had, I got blank looks left, right and center. People just looking at me going, what do you mean? I was having this conversation, this coaching conversation with the people who had jobs. What's your exit strategy? Uh, what do you mean my exit strategy? Okay, <laughs> let's play this out. What if? Uh, I used to do this with athletes. The first time I ever met an Olympic, you know, up, any up and coming Olympic athlete, the first question I'd say to them is, what are you going to do if you're not selected for the team? And they all look at me like I was dead set crazy. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? I'm here to make the team. And and you sort of know statistically the chances of making an Olympic team are almost zero, right? Mm. Like, right now, Mark, your chance of making an Olympic team is close to, I don't know, 0.1. Look, there's a few spots in maybe, you know, I don't know, Olympic crossing. Hopscotch. Hopscotch. <laughs> hey, you know, your average, somebody's done the stats at some point in time. Even even looking around of all the footballers who play, like I, my, you know, my son plays footy and, and all of his mates are all excited because they're in, in, the, in the interleague program, right? Which is the, like their little mini rep program for football. Yep. Right? And, and you, you chat to these boys and, and off the back of that, they all think that they're going to make the AFL. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you look across this group of his his interleague squad of 40 athletes, right? And I look at them and go, the chances of one of you making it to the draft, not even getting in a team, just literally being eligible and being on a draft is probably 1%. Then that 1% goes in a bucket of another bucket. And the chance of you then making it is probably 5 or 10%, right? So it's so small. Mm. That if you don't have, you know, your your plan in place, your exit strategy, what happens is you put too much pressure on yourself. So back to my original point, every Olympian, I'd come in, I'd say, right, what do you do if you don't make it? And I can tell you right now, hand on heart, the athletes who had plan B made the team. Now, I'm not saying the athletes who didn't have plan B didn't make the team, but every athlete that had plan B that I worked with, now granted, they already were on the trajectory. Every athlete made it. Because they had something there, they they had a you know they had a backup plan. The pressure on them was released just enough to go. If I don't make it, I've got something, and then they were able to give everything to to it. So, you know, I'm not saying in business you have to have the safety net, but by having Plan B and having exit strategies and knowing where you want to do, knowing what you want to get out of, can take the pressure off you sometimes when things start to get a bit tough as well, right? So you've got that you've got that in place. It's kind of like our overall our superannuation. The government's forced us all to have a plan B. Yeah. Yep, totally. Um, by the way, most personal trainers don't actually put away for super. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a bit silly, to be perfectly blunt, because um, you, you're actually taking away probably the easiest plan B you could ever you could ever use. It's, it's, a, it's a forced process. A hundred percent. It's why I'm so, so passionate about teaching wealth creation. It's like, it was my first passion. It was the reason why it got me into finance, right? Yeah. Man, that exit strategy question. So, so I guess the other part of it is, yes, I, I totally get that it's not just about the negative, but I think the other part of it is, um, I guess that for me is, I think of it in terms of a role, like how I want to be able to be more, again, because st strategy would, and being the glue and be able to bring things together and build a team, that's my vision, right? Yeah. It's step-by-step. Step. So that's part of the exit strategy could be how you step back to being more of an influence across the whole part or, or yeah. one another. Um, but it also, it also then blends into the mindset you bring, right? So you think about our motivations and what drives us, 
Um, and, and I know you and I've talked a lot about my theory on motivation in that, you know, we've got some people who are motivated to succeed. So we've got a mindset of motivated to succeed and this kind of opposite mindset of being motivated to avoid failure. And it's on the same continuum. So it's not like you're one or the other, you will be both depending on the context, right? And when we're in, when we're in that motivated to avoid failure mindset, we, um, we experience the world quite differently to when we're in the motivated to succeed mindset. Fundamentally, motivated to succeed, we see failure as a stepping stone to future success. So we actually don't perceive the world as a positive or negative. We just see continual development, opportunity, learning, right? Yes, we have downsides, but we see them as opportunities. When we're in the motivated to avoid failure mindset, in that mindset, we tend to want to avoid the negative evaluation of ourselves by ourselves or others. So it's the I'm failing and, and, and I don't like me failing. You may not know I'm failing, Mark, but I know I'm failing, right? So there's mm. that self-evaluation. But then there's also the, oh, I don't want Mark to see me failing, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to be seen as, you know, I used to have 10 clients a week and now I only have three, right? So what I could say from that is if I was motivated to avoid failure, well, I'm going to blame, justify and defend and deny why my, why my you know, uh, numbers have dropped from 10 to 3. Whereas if I was motivated to succeed, I'm going to look at that and go, I need to understand why my numbers have dropped down from 10 to 3. I'm going to go and speak to the seven people who have left and find out what's driven them to leave. And then I want to build a plan based on the relevant information. Because some of them could be, I lost my job, so I couldn't afford you. Okay, well, how can I, I can't negatively evaluate myself if Mark, you've lost your job. And you say, Mark, I'd love to, but I just can't, I can't, I can't cover my costs, right? Mm. Um, but you might actually turn around and say to me, do you know what? I wasn't, I was feeling stale. I wasn't feeling like I was doing anything different. You know, I had me doing the same thing over and over again. And I've decided I can do that myself. But I've gone, I went down to Kmart and I bought 50 bucks worth of weights and I'm doing my, myself, my own gym. I can walk away from that and go, right, I'm not articulate my message enough. I'm not changing things up enough. I'm not innovative enough. So I go back to the drawing board and I have another look at it, right? Yeah. I was motivated to avoid failure. I'd be going, what do you know, mate? You're just fine, whatever. And off I go, right? So I'm not listening. I'm not taking it on board because I'm justifying, you know, you don't understand. You, what do you know? And I, this is really interesting. So I think people like to pretend like they are motivated to succeed yeah. they use that fucking bullshit all the time on their instagram and yeah. whatever and the fact is it's the opposite yep. right so ego is the enemy was one of my favorite books by ryan holiday have you read that book? i haven't read it but but let me i want to add one qualifying statement to your point there mm. which is motivated to avoid failure is not fear of failure right it's quite different fear of failure is a is a mindset shift Fear of failure is a construct. Motivation to avoid failure is a core tenant of our, of our behavior. It's how we're motivated. So some of us are can be fearful of failure, but still be driven to motivated to succeed, right? So it's not that. The motivation to avoid failure is, is actually the protection of our ego to go, I'm not even gonna let myself experience this construct. So I'm gonna do everything to do it. The, 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 Avoidance, the, essentially. The highest profile athlete that I can ever imagine, I've ever thought of that meets this criteria is Lance Armstrong. Mm. Highly motivated to avoid failure. So what did he do? Jab, jab. Classic characteristic of a highly motivated to avoid failure. So he was successful. So the other side of the coin is 
motivated to succeed, motivated to avoid failure doesn't actually articulate to success because you can have both sides of the coin and still be successful. Lance Armstrong was won seven Tour de France. And had we not caught him, we would be relevant, you know, revered, whatever the word is. Um, he'd, be, he'd be held up as probably one of the most incredible athletes on the planet. Because he, yeah. if he wasn't caught. As soon as he was mm. caught, the house of cards tumbled and we saw what was actually going on. So the drivers will, will ultimately drive the way you, you build your business, the way you take feedback, the way you understand your strategy, the way you build your, you know, uh, everything about what you do, um, that all underpins. So that's right at the very beginning, we're talking about the strategic mindset and kind of the, almost that psychological mindset. They become very intertwined because an individual who's highly motivated to avoid failure is not going to listen to a word you and I say when it comes to helping them develop, build their strategy. They're just, they're not going to listen because you'll challenge them in a way that will attack the ego and their brain will just go, not interested. They'll blame, it's my favorite, it's blame, justify, defend, and deny. Mm. Right? Yep. The old shaggy defense. Wasn't me. Yeah. Wasn't me. I didn't know. Wasn't me. And variations on that thing. So, by understanding, but the beautiful thing about this continuum is you can shift. Right? So, if I identify you that you are motivated to avoid failure and you're prepared to do some work, it's actually easy, not easy, but it actually is very, very viable and very possible to move you across the continuum to the other side. How do we do that, Gav? Where do you start? Uh, you send me an email. <laughs> yeah. I take credit card. Yeah. Visa, MasterCard. Visa, MasterCard. <laughs> uh, not Bitcoin, mate. I'm not. No. Where, where do we start? Uh, some of it is um, quite simplistic in that we've got to start with the way we set our strategy, as we've talked about already today. Um, the way we understand what goal, what what's our goal orientation, right? How how do we set goals for ourselves, and then how do we interpret those goals? So if you are a highly, um, if you are highly uh, self, more negatively self-evaluating type person, then the way you set your goals are important. This comes back to some of the basics, you know, making sure our goals are always smart. Because people who say I want to be successful in business, that's a bullshit goal. Like, what the hell does that mean? How do you measure your success, right? When do you want to be successful by? Are you going to be successful by next week, Mark? Or are you going to be successful in the next three years? So, you know, that, that old analogy of using a SMART goal, for those of you who haven't come across SMART goals, pretty simple. All over our industry, but yeah. So it's there, but I bet you they don't use it on themselves. So I bet you they- Funny, use... it's all I use with my guys. It's so simple, it works, that framework, right? But you'll find that a lot of sole traders will go, I'm going to use that on my people, yeah. But ask them if they're using it on themselves. So where's your strategy? Is it specific? Uh, yeah, sort of. Well, what is it? I want to do this and this. Well, explain that more. Is it achievable? What What time frame? So, you know, great theories around horizon-based thinking. So what does horizon one look like? Horizon two, horizon three. So plot your strategy over three, three years or whatever it might be. Um, but understanding the mindset that drives it Will, will absolutely sort of almost guarantee your success or guarantee your failure. If you take a motivated to avoid failure mindset into building your business and building your strategy, I can guarantee you, you will fail. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Do you know what's really interesting, Gav? Um, 
I had a great coach uh, call with a, with a coach of mine and we were talking about marketing and, and like why I wanted to be, you know, doing my marketing and the kind of content I want to be putting out and it's going really well. Um, and what was really interesting was he's like, well, came back to this. What's the goal right now? What, what's the goal? And I, I've already, I've mapped out. I love, by the way, that Cameron Marshall, I think it was, the Vivid Vision, um, talks a lot about like three year plans yep. and that being far away that it's a stretch but you know not too far away that you know like five-year plans are just too far and that's why we just it's not tangible for many so uh yeah so i really love that kind of concept but you know i've, I've definitely looked at that in the next year and where i want to be being that i've relaunched my business um in the last kind of six months and i'm where i'm at now i'm, I'm exactly where i wanted to be you know but uh i was looking at like what i need to be focusing on right now and right now gav like my, my goal in my, my program, like I love being able to hit around two sales a week. I don't need 12, I don't need 15. I've yeah. done that in previous businesses. Um, but for me, it's just, it's perfect with where I'm going. And when we looked at it, it's funny, just even looking at the, the goals and the numbers, like everything is, um, we, we track our KPIs and everything we need to be doing to hit that, that target, right? And roughly I close at around 70% in a, in a, conversation if I've done some qualifying for the right people in the program. And so we worked out obviously the numbers and how many people now, if I've got five people in my diary every week, I'm good. And yeah. right now, if I looked at the, the challenges in my business, I was like, I want to be doing the marketing because I want to be building the, you know, the no like and trust and getting people to understand the brand and whatever. So the analogy was like putting dollars in the bank, right? Like putting value out there for marketing sake, yeah. or did I need to right now just focus on servicing that right now I've got about 350 leads to service mm. and have conversations with. And the answer was really simple. I actually needed to service the leads and put out offers to the people that I've already got really here. And the marketing was not so important, but I feel the like- marketing is an interesting one because the question I've always got behind that is um, strategically, who are you marketing to and what are you marketing, mm. right? So. Most organizations need to, and this comes back to what I said right at the very beginning, most organizations need to understand what their competitive advantage is in the market. Now, your industry is an interesting industry because on the surface, you all do the same thing. So do hairdressers though, right? Some do a slightly better haircut than others. Take your cap off, mate. You trying to, okay, all right. All right. <laughs> I don't need hairdressers very yeah, often. So your hairdressers, doesn't have out, out of business. Not <laughs> out of business, right? But then I was going to just narrow that down a little bit more, right? So then you've got you've got male hairdressers and you've got female hairdressers, right? Different different marketing opportunities, different skill sets, but but the same skill set by the by the the the, the service provider, right? Mm. So now, now, but maybe they've learned a bit more, you know, done a little bit of coloring here or a bit of styling, or, you know, if you've gone down the, the male market, you, you know how to use the clippers and draw little lines on people's heads because my son likes to have a Z in his head. Who knows why? Well, not a Z, he wants a line. Man, vanilla ice right. is coming back. Yeah. Right. So when you start to market, you go, well, what am I, what actually am I marketing? Mm. And by understanding that within all organizations, there are two core things you want to be considering when you're marketing. You either want to be marketing what we call your primary activities, or you want to be marketing, marketing your supporting activities. And depending on the business type and the model you're offering to the world, 
Mm. Both will have benefits, right? So what I mean by supporting activities, supporting activities are things like your tech, your engagement, your infrastructure. So if you're the big, one of those big businesses that, you know, want to grind people in and out, you need to have amazing technology, right? Mm. I need to get on your website. You, I need to be able to engage with you without speaking to a human being, sign me up, credit card details all online, blah, 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 right? So actually, you want to be promoting that ease of IT tech, okay? You want to have an app that when I turn up at your store, I click on, I do my, you show me my program, blah, 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 right? But yep. a one-on-one individual trainer, do they need to be promoting the, that supporting activities? Not at all. That's a complete waste of their time, right? They may have an awesome app. They may have, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, I use Square at home, the little white little thing. Payment thing, yeah. Payment thing, to tap on that. Right? I've got that. Is there any benefit in me promoting that to my clients to say, hey, guys, if you come see me, you can use the tap on, right? They don't care. They pay because it's like the high level service. Exactly, right? So so supporting activities is, is that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Supporting activities also things like infrastructure. So if you've got 20 locations, promote that. If you've yep. got one location, don't promote that. Mm. That's not doing it. So those are your supporting ones. Your primary then activities are the things you do really well. So this is where, you know, it would be, you know, the personalized one-on-one service. I only have one person at a time type thing. Or it might be, I will drive to your location, right? Um, or it'll be, I focus and specialize on speed or, you know, injury rehab or, you know, um, whatever. Like, like you were saying earlier, the differentiation. Yeah, yeah. you're gonna differentiate. So then, so when you build your marketing strategy, decide what it is you need to be offering and make sure that that is the right thing. Don't just sort of say, you know, I'm going to market everything without actually being very clear. I need to, if I get your marketing strategy, I want well, your marketing uh, collateral, I want to have a look at it and go, is this exactly how you're maintaining your competitive advantage in the market? Mm. Is your marketing thing telling me about your competitive advantage? Because I'm assuming everybody has the same access to resources and capabilities. So if everyone has the same access, then you need to tell me how you're going to be better at it or more efficient at it based on your marketing. Yeah. Simple strategy, very hard to execute. The ones who get it done well, do well. That's where marketing works. The ones who just whack up something on PowerPoint and shove it on an Instagram page, right? So I'm working with someone at the moment who uses Instagram to sell. Mm-hmm. And if I could show you their first Instagram to their last Instagram, you'd swear it's a different person. Because their first one just made no sense. They they were trying to tell me everything. Mm. Now I get a slither of a tiny little bit of, and I go, oh, that makes I got that. You, right? So you can be very clever and targeted in the way you market if you understand your primary and your your support activities. You understand where your competitive advantage is, and then you focus in on how you're differentiating yourself or removing you know um cost pressures so it enables you to offer a broader service to the business dude that was super valuable you said it just in a slightly different way to what i say but i absolutely love it because again it's for me it marketing just handles so many things it handles positioning it handles like the people you don't want the people you do want and obviously the the more you've said i think this is the takeaway and i agree 
the longer you're in the industry, whether you say you're going through those different phases, you're always dialing in, dialing in to the point where people don't understand the word niche in the early stages, but anyone who's been around in business for longer than five or 10 years or running marketing or whatever, yeah, that, that becomes like the niche is where the money is, right? When, as you get on. But so, how, so oh, let me leave you with one. Let me give you one other aspect. I know you're going to ask a question, but I've got something that's annoying in the back of my brain because we haven't talked about how do you grow your business. Yes. So ask me, how do you grow your business? How, so how do you grow your business, Gary? That's a great question, Mark. Let me give you a very basic way of growing your business. Two ways to think about it, and it's a nice little two-by-two two model. So everybody can draw this for themselves. Really simple, right? On your, on your horizontal axis, have products slash services. This is what you offer. Um, on your vertical axis, have markets, right? And then you're going to do. You're going to end up with four squares. So for your products and services, you're going to have existing and new. So imagine a column of existing and a column of new. Then for markets, you're going to have a column of existing and a column of new. And then you ask yourself the question: To grow, am I going to take an existing product that I have and expand it in an existing market? Get make my market bigger, right? I can market to that. Am I going to take an existing product that I already have and I'm good at, and I'm going to expand it into a new market? How do I do that now? So if I'm doing a great job working with just mums, that's my core competitive advantage. How do I now go into working with dads? Right? So that's a new market. Mm. Uh, you've never worked in that market before. So, but you've got the product. So you just say you're taking you taking it out of A and you're putting it into B. You've you've got to understand the the, the 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 demands of the new market, but ultimately your product says the same. On the flip side, you can say, well, hang on, I've got an existing market. Maybe I should introduce a new product. So now I've got new into existing. Mm. I've already got people who like me. I've already got people I engage with. It's like, hey, Mark, I'm now offering, ta-da. And Mark might go, well, I've trusted you to give me A and B. You're now saying here's C, I'll, I'll have a crap. Yeah, coaching, nutrition, whatever. So we see this a lot with coaches, yeah. yeah. So you could do you could do that. But it doesn't have to be, it could be new in that you could come along and say, and look, forgive me for not knowing your industry overly well, but you might say, look, I've only done weights training with you. What I'd like to bring in is some speed. So let's do some track time, not just weight time. Would you be interested in exploring your explosiveness, doing some plyometrics and, you know, getting you faster? Now that client might say to you, yeah, but I came to you because I wanted to get stronger. Talk to me why you want me to get faster. And you might be able to make an argument that says, well, if you build your muscles like this and you add in some speed, ta-da, you know, but yeah. you may have never done that. You've never offered that new service. So you have to now re develop yourself in the market because you're not the expert, mm. right? The hardest one is to then take a new product into a new market, right? That's really, really difficult. My, my guidance to anyone who wants to do that is the only real way to do that is you've got to buy in the expertise, right? So if I wanted to, to do that in my business, I offer coaching, right? But it's very different to your coaching. I offer, you know, I work with, with individuals. If I suddenly went, do you know what? I wouldn't mind adding some physical training to my business as an option to pair up with, you know, I might have elite, you know, CEOs who are all overweight. And I might say, actually, you know what? As part of my training, I actually want to be offering this. I wouldn't do it. I'd call you up and go, hey, Mark, 
I've got something I'd like to either pay you or I'll buy your business and just pull you into mine and now offer it as a part of my business. So that's new to new. It's hard. It's, it's expensive. So for your listeners out there, focus on existing products, expanding existing market, existing products into new markets, and maybe new products into existing markets. And that would be your, that would be the start of building a growth strategy. I, I absolutely love that. And Gav, if we're going to wrap up, because um, I've absolutely loved this chat, and we've talked about it so much. I was just thinking, um, <clears throat> as you're coaching someone in the, like, uh, failure versus success, right? Yeah. What are the, because you do coach CEOs of businesses, and that's when I met you, you were doing a lot of that. Are you still doing a bit of that? We'll do a lot of that every day. Um, so what, what, in terms of you as a coach, what do you like to see in a client or what have been the ones that have been the most successful? You've got a lot of tools, right? Yeah. But in, in getting their mindset, like what do you look for that, that from the most successful ones? If there was characteristics? Um, it's an easy answer. It's bloody hard to do and incredibly complex, but the answer is actually quite easy. I look for the maturity in their thinking to move from simple, simple thinking through to what I call purposeful and then through to deliberate. And, and the fundamental differences there is, and this is not my theory, it's been well documented around, simple thinking or simple activities are just repetition-based activities. Do the same thing, very little feedback, repetition-based. Purposeful is when we attach the goal we've talked about already today, right? But, but a much deeper evaluation loop and a self-evaluation loop. So as you start to self-evaluate, I'm going, you're doing a great job, Mark. First session I come with you, simple, I'm going to do most of the feedback to you. I'm going to give you some things to go and play with, but it's just going to be basic, right? Purposeful, we're going to build in deep evaluation loops. We're going to, and you're going to evaluate yourself, which is the core driver. When we move to deliberate and we do deliberate way of thinking, we've now, we add in the desire to learn from experts. So we bring other experts in and we prepare to listen and say, right, let me see how these people do things. But more importantly, we start to build what I call mental representations, better mental pictures in our heads in the way we operate, decisions we make. So we become less um, reactive, far more proactive in our thinking. Um, in the sporting world, for me, that's the athlete that starts to make decisions before they've even thought about making the decision and they execute the decision before they've even realized that they needed to execute the decision. It's the no look pass. It's the kick that goes exactly to where your you know, full forward is running to and you're, you're a midfielder and you've literally just landed it on their noggin. They didn't even know they were running there, but you knew because you knew that player so well. You knew what the wind was doing. You saw the opposition was running at, you know, seven people were coming at different angles. You could pick it exactly. Why? Because you had a picture in your head that you knew how to do that. Mm -hmm. So to build that deliberate picture, to build those mental schemas, which is the fancy word for it. So mental picture, easy word. Um, that takes that takes years of work to be able to do that. Business businessmen and women do it as well. They look at the market. They can pick what's going on. You know the group that can't do it? Politicians, right? And I, and I pick on the politicians for a very simple reason. They can't do it because their frame of reference is three years. Yeah. Right? So because of that frame of reference, they actually cannot go beyond purposeful thinking. They cannot get to deliberate. They can't look to build expertise through mental pictures and better ways of doing things 
because it takes too long and they'll be out of a job. And they have to follow whatever their agenda is of their party. Exactly. So if, you, if you're constrained by certain limitations, and I use the politicians just as the example, because there are other industries that have that. But if, you, if you have a significant constraint, whether it's put on you by an external source or you've put it on yourself, right? I've got to, I've got to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30 and I'm 27, right? You put that constraint on you, right? My business has to be a success in the first year. There's no way you get into that high-performing, deliberate thinking, you, you'll tap at it, maybe mostly simple, a little bit of purposeful, and that's all you do. So that's how I see it. Pretty simple in my world, but it's very complex to get it across and train people in it because it takes a lot of hard work. That's why there's not a lot of multimillionaires out there selling their businesses for $200 million. Yeah. Because take this as a message. What has Hemsworth done that is so special? On the outside, in looking at that fitness program, not a lot, apart from he's added the weight of his character behind it. He's okay, but that in and of itself has where the, has added value. There's his competitive advantage. Yeah. So he's, he's used that, he's exploited his competitive advantage. What he's offering, I don't think it's anything special. No, it would be written by someone else. Wouldn't be him, he's an actor, so that's it. He's got big muscles, so he's proved that it works, mm. right? And he can and he can lift up the, the hammer. No one else can. So clearly <laughs> stronger than the rest of us. This is true. This is true. God damn it. So, so what he's offering isn't anything special, but it's the way they've marketed, the way they've built the competitive advantage, everything around. And you might sit back and go, oh, it's not fair. It's Thor. Well, go find your own Thor. Like, go find your own method, your, your own connection, your competitive advantage. Not Thor's not the only one who sold a fitness business for $200 million. No. No, and there's a lot. There's a lot that I think anyone be sitting here and thinking, you know, you got your Kayla Insteins and your etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, um, it is about building a brand and and yeah. Um, I, I actually used to train the girls who owned. Have you heard of Frank Body Scrubs, Coffee Scrubs? I have Coffee Scrubs. Okay, so back in the day, these guys were the originals on Instagram, yeah. but they run a copywriting business. I mean, they 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 run a hundred million dollar business. You know, three girls that literally they started out packaging the coffee themselves from, you know, from cafes. Just you know, but it is about the weight of the brand. Um, this has been so much fun, Gav. I want I want to talk to you off air if I can build out tools around this around our coaching for how our coaches coach others in their coaching sessions because I just love these tools. Um, and I want to distill it into our program. I'm going to talk to you off air about that, but um, I'm, it's on recording, so it's going to happen. So sorry, right. you okay with that? Sure, mate. <laughs> I appreciate I, I, it. I only want half of what Thor got. Okay. All right. <laughs> Shit. hundred million. All right. Um, well, hang on. We'll find out his percentage. Yeah. Um, amazing. Gav, mate, thank you for your wealth of knowledge, mate. I, I really said I appreciate your time. Um, that was amazing. Uh, and yeah, I, mate, as always, I look forward to doing it soon. Um, I, I would really love, by the way, in another call, I, hearing it's not relevant to our industry, but so much of it is, and we didn't cover it, but your evolution from what you said, from when I met you to what you're doing now is like a hell of a lot more seemingly on the outside, automated, systemized. And I think there's a lot of lessons that people could take from that. Oh, well, happy to chat, mate. We can do cool, it. mate. Um, well, anyway, we'll call it there, but thank you for your time, mate. Pleasure. Have fun, guys.